I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I, I listened to this sermon series one time on visualizing that, and this preacher basically talked about, think about God and how before our world as we know it existed, that God had envisioned it and what it was going to look like. And so he, he really spurred us on to, to close our eyes, to visualize um, people, whatever God brings to our, you know, what I call the mind's eye. Uh, but, and so I encourage us to do that now. I, I again, prayed before coming and felt like I had a, a word. I, tech, I uh, Facebook messaged Paula and Chris and Bob and just asked them if it was okay. And so um, I just encourage you to, to close your eyes. I don't know if you've ever done this before. It's not supposed to be freaky, but in the scriptures, God calls us into his throne room. He says that we can go into his throne room because of what Jesus has done. And so I've, I've done this with my kids before, but I would just ask you to visualize in your mind a, a huge door. And, and as you walk, you, you know, as you, as you come to that door, open it, push it open, the realization that because of the blood of Jesus in your life, you're, you're allowed free access to the presence of God, to the throne room of God. And you can visualize it however you want to, but picture God on the throne. And listen to these words. My children, take heed to the words I speak to you daily. I am in you and rise up as a voice of love, encouragement, peace, warmth, comfort, rest, and conviction. If you are counseling with me daily, there will be no doubt about my will, for I will confirm what I have said as I say it again. Remember always that I am pleased by your faith. You cannot fail when you walk in faith, rooted in love for me and for others. Though you may not see the fruit you desire, you will know the eternal rewards. Rejoice in this knowledge that all that you do in faith produces eternal worth. Rest in me in this truth and in the reality that every day, yes, even every moment of every day, I give you opportunity to walk in intimacy with me and in faith. The sun rises to reveal my love for you. The sun sets for you to know my love for you. The commands I give to you, even to love your enemy, are commands that will release my love more deeply into your heart and mind. And as you mature in your understanding of my exceedingly great love for you, you will desire more. Do not quench me in this. I give you this thirst. Sometimes it is subtle, and at other times, I will groan within you and along with you. Do not satiate this holy longing for me and for more of me in the lives of others by turning to TV shows and movies and Facebook and food and other idols. You know I allow those things to temporarily placate your longing, and at times my call is to engross yourself in my voice through those mediums. Other times, though, you drown out my leading by taking the easy way into comfort. Faith is work. Faith without works is dead. Faith in my call to grow deeper in love with me, deeper in love with the lost and broken and chained, will produce holy action like you have taken tonight in coming here. Does this not get you excited? 
My kingdom pleasure and calling is so sweet and exciting. There is no end to my goodness and grace as you pursue my kingdom and my righteousness in everything. I'm not saying you need to figure everything out, that you have to work to know my love. The work that I am talking about is a vigor that is rooted in rest and joy and peace. As you wait expectantly, you are stirred to seek me. As you seek me, you will flow into deep desire to seek and save the lost, to set the captives free, as you have been set free. And out of this desire will come discipleship. Your heart and mind will move into the prophetic as I give you wisdom as to the needs of those you meet along the way, those I have called you to consistently feed my word to. These are your family. These people in this room are your family. They are not going to steal from you or hurt you. As you are firmly rooted on my rock, you freely give as I have freely given to you. As you establish me as your sole source of life, when people do not give back as they are commanded, you respond with even deeper love as you desire for them to know me and be filled with me. Rejoice tonight in the knowledge and revelation that I am with you, that I will never leave you, that I am constantly talking with you, and that no matter where you are in life, no matter what struggles you face, every day I've given you all equal opportunity to walk by faith and produce glorious and eternal treasure. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you've given us an expectancy to meet tonight with you. I pray that everyone here in this room would be looking to you that as I speak, they would be listening for your voice, and that if you want them to go off on an adventure with you, that they would dull, drill out my, my words and just go with you to where you want to bring them, that they'd have the freedom, and that anything that I say that is not of you would fall on deaf ears, would not pierce the heart in any way, shape, or form. But what is from you, we ask, God, that you would pierce our hearts with those truths, those truths, the love that you want us to embrace, the truth that you speak to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that you speak through our past and the past glory of others who've walked with you. Give us a deeper love and longing to touch others in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So last week I talked about wholehearted. I love, I love the word wholehearted. Just has become one of my favorite words. Wholehearted. God loves wholeheartedness in us. He loves wholehearted love for him, wholehearted love for others. He wants us, to, last week I talked about becoming wholeheartedly under his authority in our lives. That we would wholeheartedly pursue being discipled by him and his word. And wholeheartedly, we would disciple others. Matthew, Matthew 28, 11 through 20, we, we looked at. <clears throat> I'm really going to focus in on verse 19. Most translations say, go therefore and make disciples. Last week, so... 
again, last week I talked about how I went to seminary. It was interesting because I was, I was trained up by this man of God who had gone to seminary, but he, he, had, he had mentored me for six years before I moved on to another job, but he still was, I considered him my mentor. And he, he actually trained me on how to study the word. That was really a priority in his life, and hopefully it's a priority in our lives, that we would actually allow the word to speak to us as it was originally intended, as the words were written in Greek or Hebrew, or, uh, but also that God, we would allow God's word to speak to us as it, as it draws us into his presence and intimacy. And I, I feel like God has brought, wanted me to bring up seminary because I'm not at all like uh, seminary is above every, uh, anything else. But I just highly encourage you. I feel like someone here, maybe a few of you, would be called to take an adjunct class. I actually met Paula in seminary, believe it or not. She was sitting behind me, and I, I don't even remember the class that we were in, but we, we immediately hit it off and just, just the passion, the, the fun-loving young lady that she is. Um, but going to seminary, I wasn't like, I need this to grow and to learn. I was going for a call from the Lord, and I'd learned a ton, but, but really I saw God meet, use me in the presence of other believers to minister and mentor, to mentor them, and also to be mentored by some great men and women of God. And so I, I would challenge you, there, there are three classes, but there are a lot of them there, so Denver Seminary is not very far away, and I, I just pray that as you, as you consider wholeheartedly seeking God's ministry to you, that you would consider those things. And I know a lot of people in this room, you know, value reading books. It's another way to do that because a lot of that actually is in seminary. They, they make you read a lot of books and then actually ponder them and write, you know, papers on them so that you're meditating. And we're going to talk about that tonight as well, about what it means to meditate on his word. Um, New Testament, two classes, Gospels and Acts and Epistles and Revelation. I think you took both of those, didn't you, Paul? Um, it just was a really awesome class to look at all of those books in the New Testament. Um, and and from, the, from the mind of the professor, as well as, as you work through those again. So I, I don't, it doesn't matter how old you are in the faith. Um, it never grows old studying his word. Um, another class that I took was, was actually a Greek class on James. And it, we, we were forced to translate every verse in James from the Greek into English. And, and every, cl- every class, we had a quiz to start where you'd get the Greek and he'd ask you questions in English. So it was, it was kind of intimidating because you'd go in there and you'd be like, okay, I think, I've, I think I get it. You know, but the mentality of that class was that, for me at least personally, was I was being taught that I, as a layperson, as just, you know, could actually read and understand Greek on a level that would open up the word to me in a different way. And I, and I challenge you in that because we have those resources. Biblehub.com, Bible Gateway, um, Bible, there's such a lot of Bible study tools online where you can go to the Greek. And one of the, one of the classes that I took in Greek was about um, the English language. So it was about verbiage and nouns and where they were in the language so that I could more fully understand the meaning of those in, in my life and in the lives of others around us. So going back to that, that scripture, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples, it's actually, the, the word is, the word go is actually aorist passive, an aorist passive participle, nominative plural. So what that means, though, is it actually literally is translated having gone. So I, I, when I looked at that and I went in and to, to re, again reestablish just typing in, Remind me again, Google, what aorist passive participles are. 
it, it went into this having gone. So it's this kind of past, th- this past action, having gone in the past. But it's translated go in many translations. And so it was, it was confusing to me. And as I read commentaries and read more on it, it, it was common and it is common in the scripture for that tense to be used to say go as a command. But again, in the training that I had, you know, I, I remember going to this one professor and saying, just tell me what this answer is. And he's like, you, you've got the training. You go and find out. You know, I, got, I have my opinion on it. But you'll find that as you read the word, as you read the commentaries, there's lots of opinions on the same scripture. And all of them are valid. They don't ever deter from the, the grand meaning of the scriptures, but they're different, and they will affect you differently. So take the time. So I, I felt like the Lord brought me to um, other commands, in other words, other places in the scripture where that word is used. So believe it or not, in Matthew 10, verse 5 and 6, it reads, These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them. And immediately I was like, oh, that's similar. Jesus has given us a great commission in Matthew 28, right? And Jesus in this, in Matthew 10, is sending out the disciples. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 6, but go rather. So same book, and this is a kind of a cool thing. If you look at a word and you study the word, it will, Bible Hub will take you to the word and where it's used in the scriptures. So you'll look you know, how is Matthew using this word in that book? So with Paul, you'll say, well, how does Paul use that word? Because oftentimes that, you know, the, the idea is that that same author is going to use that word in the same way. They're not going to use it differently. So it's interesting that in, in the same kind of context on a level of Jesus sending out the disciples, in verse 6, the word, though, is a person, is a, uh, a plural present imperative. Imperative, of course, being go, a command. And so, again, in my eyes, the correct interpretation of verse 19 is having gone. What significance does that have, though, as I pressed into this? And as I'm pressing you into this, again, think of the word. So now Jesus is saying, having gone, well, having gone where? And you think about what he, where he sent them before. He, said, he sent them to minister to the lost children of Israel. But now, as we look further, verse, in verse, uh, second half of 19, or sorry, the first half, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That word nations is actually translated literally Gentiles. So Jesus, in my opinion, is saying, okay, having gone, having gone to the lost tribe of Israel, having gone and experienced all you did experience when you went to that, to that group of people, the miracles, the demons fleeing, the healings that happened, now I send you to the Gentiles to minister and disciple them. So I'm going to stop here. As I, as I was praying for, for you guys, I, I wanted, and as I was listening to the Lord, he kind of took me on a bit of a tangent. So there's always going to be what the scripture itself says in the context of where it is. But, and take this with a grain of salt, but, God can take a word from the scripture and bring you to another place in your own walk with him. And now you're not saying that this scripture is saying that specifically to all people, but now he's taking you on that journey to understand what he, where he wants you to go. And so I believe that one of the things that he wanted to clearly say to all of us here is evaluate, look at your life and how God has used your experiences in the past to minister to you. 
I say that again. Wholeheartedly look at what God has done in your past and how that has brought you closer to him. Wholeheartedly look at the past and how he's going to use that to minister to others as you disciple them. Pay attention to what he's done in your life. So on a level, I just, I just want you to embrace the, the, the reality that as you're meditating on God's word and you're looking for the direct meaning in there, that God may take you on a journey. He'll take you from one word to another word to another word, and before you know it, you're, you're actually listening truly for the voice of God in this, and he's speaking to you directly. So learn from your past. Being discipled is not always in the moment. But truth will more fully root as you ponder and ruminate on his truths. Um, so God brought me, you know, from that focus on the past and what God, what he was doing, what he wants to do through our past experiences to this rumination and what that looks like. And he brought me to Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that, it's been told, that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And I really felt like this is a strong word for people here. Do you treasure your past? When you think about your past, do you regret? And this week, it's not a coincidence. Actually, my son Noah asked me. We were sitting just hanging out at uh, the Dietz's actually. And he asked me, what do you regret? What's your greatest regret in life? His, his mother had asked, asked him that and had shared with him what, what her greatest regret was. And so, you know, I took that question to heart and, and I said, what, what is my greatest regret? And I think part of, probably one of my greatest regrets is me using drugs and alcohol in college and how that affected my ability to, to study and, and just the tangent that I went on. But as I ruminated on that question more, there's one level, obviously, for all of us, hopefully, where we regret everything we've done that has been a sin. Everything that we've done that's a sin that has put Jesus on the cross. But as Jesus has redeemed us and has redeemed the past, we can actually start contemplating how God would use our past to actually minister to our hearts and to those around us. So one simple, easy example is that one. So I used a lot of drugs in college. I regret it because it was not good for my body, mind, and obviously for my education. But as I ponder that in sight of the Lord, I'm able to minister to my kids now much more the truth about what drugs do to them. I'm also able to minister to people who use drugs, who have used drugs. I mean, some of the best counselors for those who are addicted or struggle with alcohol or drug abuse are those who have been through it because they understand it. So on a level, of course you regret that. But as God raises up the redemption aspect of our past, we start to celebrate it. We don't avoid pondering those things and what we felt back then and how we're experiencing those things. 
and why we chose, to, why I chose to use drugs and alcohol instead of not. So look at where Jesus was in those past experiences and in those moments, even the hardest moments. Some of you have heard of Sozo prayer, and I think we make this huge deal out of it, which I understand there should be training behind certain things. But some of the most traumatic experiences that you have had, God wants to bring you back to and show you where he is and what he's doing so that you'd be set free from believing it's only a wicked thing that has happened to you. God wants you to understand the depth of his sovereignty in, in using that in the future for the greater good of those who love him, for your good, and as he witnessed to his, his redemptive power. So don't fix your eyes so much on the experience, but what God did and has done through the experience so that you would glorify his name as you presently worship and as you disciple others. Because oftentimes we can look at those experiences and we can actually glorify them, even if they're negative, or we can do all sorts of stuff. But when we're actually focusing on those past experiences in light of what God has done, then the focus becomes, again, on what God has done. We're all about glorifying his name. Hebrews 11 is a great example of this in regards to our remembering what God has done in the lives of others which is profoundly powerful as well. And, uh, the, you know, Tim, I love the songs that you guys chose because that one, Glory to Glory, you know, we, we go from glory to glory. And as we embrace the glory that God has brought people in from glory to glory, it, it, just, it just exponentially grows in our lives. So as we talk with others about what they've experienced the Lord do in their lives, we, we actually embrace and, get, and become a part of the glory that they've experienced in the Lord. And it spurs us on in faith. So one of the questions I ask my life group every, pretty much every week is, what has the Lord done? What has the Lord done in your life? And, what is the, and especially, what has the Lord done through you in the lives of others? And I just love to hear the stories. Every week, every week as the people in that group, and I'm sure there are tons of stories here, every week people are sharing, this is what God has done. This is how he's moving in my workplace. Look at what God has done. Take the time to ruminate. You know, some believe, and I would believe this, that when Jesus said, I just need to, you know, wash your feet, he was saying, you know, you're cleansed by the blood, my blood, so you're pure, you're righteous in my sight, but along the way, along the road, you're going to pick up some stuff during that day. And so I try to make it a habit when I go to bed to think about what has happened that day. What have you done? What are you doing? Who have you brought into my life? This week, this guy, Russell, came into my office, and he, his phone is broken. He's really, really nice guy. You can tell that he, he's, he's got a good heart. And he, he said, what did you do this weekend? And I said, well, I, I preached at this church, and I went to church on Sunday, and just God was so good. I did these things, right? So I, he, he's not a guy that he works for Lennar as a subcontractor. So I don't have no fears of be, him being like, I'm telling on you. <laughs> so he listened, and he said, oh, he goes, I, I have what did he say? He said, that's interesting. Where do you worship? Where do you go to church? Right? So that was, that was what I like to say. I threw out a lure to him, and he took the lure. And so he tried to go in back into other things, and I think probably by, led by the enemy in regards to talking about other things. But I brought, brought it right back to God, and I said, hey, Russell, do you know Jesus? Have you met Jesus? And he said, yes, I, I do. 
And he proceeded to tell me that he was spent time in jail, that he repented. He used to do, you know, steal cars and take drugs and, and that he, you know, he's got back on his feet and he just went through his kind of his life story over the last like 15 years. And I'm like, thank you so much, Russell, for sharing. And then being the disciple maker that God has made me to be, my next question was, Russell, are you in fellowship now? Are you in a church yourself? Where are you, get, where are you meeting together with other believers? And he said, I'm not. He, he said, I kind of go every once in a while to this church. And I said, you know, again, to take away the legalism, I said, this isn't about me saying you need to go to church. This is about me knowing in my own life from my past that if I didn't have people in my life that love the Lord, that walked with me, I would not be where I am. If I didn't have people that mentored me and fixed their eyes on how I was to grow in the Lord, if I didn't walk with people and hear the testimonies of what they shared with, with you know, what they were going through and how God had, you know, ministered to their lives, I would not be where I am. So again, you know, going from this rumination of what God is doing in your life in the, from the past to the present, we want to focus on how God wants to use that to bless others. And so out of that, we have this deep love where I could genuinely say to, to Russell, hey, this isn't about legalistically going to church. This is about me knowing that you, Russell, need to be with other believers, or maybe in a year you're going to be back using drugs. I mean, the, it's sad because this guy could not call his boss. Like, he seeks me down now because he knows I love him, and he's like, can I use your phone? i got to call my boss. <laughs> Sorry, my timer went off. I have seven minutes left. So how cool is that, Right? Simple encounter, but the profound difference is that I actually loved him enough to stop and say, what does this guy need? He's here, he's here but he's, and he's asking me to use my, my phone to call his boss, but what are you doing, Lord? And so it's this practicing the presence of God in the moment with the mind frame of loving others sacrificially and deeply throughout the day, making it a habit of looking at people and seeing them, you know, I love Heidi Baker says, you stop for the one. It's so, it's not Heidi Baker, it's Jesus who says that. Because that's what Jesus did. You know, it's not, you know, it's not revolutionary. She just put it to different words. Stop for the one, stop for the one. Don't grow weary. it can be hard sometimes to, to disciple others because they may reject you. They may not take your counsel and you may see them fall. Don't grow weary of loving people. I think that's kind of why I feel like God gave us part of that word in the very beginning was because he wants us to understand that nothing we do in faith out of love is wasted. It's all eternally significant. So I have, to, I have to bring Hannah in because she's like, are you going to talk about me tonight? So I'm going to talk about you, Hannah. So she's been sick, and um, she woke up in the middle of the night the other night at 1216 because I looked at the clock, and uh, she was, she, her ear was really hurting. And I'd already prayed for her multiple times for her to be healed, and, and she, had, she had asked God to heal her personally. So, you know, one of my first reactions in the past has always been, come on, God, come on. But th this morning I woke up and I said, no, what, you know what? I'm going to actually try to disciple Hannah in this because we, we all face trials of, of many kinds, right? We're supposed to rejoice in them instead of being like, oh, come on, God. I don't want to be sick. I want to be healthy. When God's like, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do some stuff here. If you just rejoice in it, you would see it happen. 
And so I, took, we, I sat with Hannah, and I just said, Lord, I just pray again in the name of your son, Jesus, that you'd heal Hannah, you'd take away this earache. How you doing, Hannah? You know, tears. Not, it's not going away, okay? So then I just sat, and I just I didn't know what to say, quite frankly. And there's a peace and a power in that. I didn't know how to minister to her. So I waited. How often and how easy it is to just say, okay, what's the answer? What's the solution? Oh, more medicines. So she had already taken medicine that night. So like it was probably like 9 o'clock when we went to bed. She took some medicine. So I'm like, can't really give her another high dose of ibuprofen. <laughs> so, so as I'm sitting there, the Lord says, though, what, what was in that medicine? And it happened to be aspirin. So she had not had any ibuprofen. So I went downstairs, I you know, validated that truth, and I gave her some ibuprofen, and we just sat there. And I, Do you remember this? And within about a minute, she said, I think I'm ready to go try to go back to sleep. I'm like, that's, a, that's good, let's try. And she, went, and she wound up sleeping through the whole night. My point, though, in bringing that up, though, is that when we need to, as we're loving others deeply, we need to not lean on our own understanding. We need to really trust the Lord in this. And like I t- when we prayed, like visionary-wise, that, that profoundly changed the way I prophesied over people. I will consistently, if God brings them to my heart, I will consistently stop and in my mind's eye think of other people and, and picture them. Like I'll picture Paula right now. You know, and immediately I see her with a tennis racket. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. Right? So there's one level of prophecy where you can say, Paula, I see you with a tennis racket in hand. And, and to her, it might be like, oh, my gosh, I love the U.S. Open. And this is what God is, you know. But I press in because I usually want to get a little bit more clarity, you know. And I, I feel like God is actually saying to you, Paula, that you, you love to volley. I, th- I feel like God loves how you interact with people, that you listen and you kick back. You listen and you encourage. That, that, that just is this mentality of when people kind of are talking to you, it's like they throw, you know, they hit you that ball. And that you don't just, you don't just put the racket down and say, ah, oh, you won the point, I'm going to go. But, but I actually see this as, and I know you, so I, I think this is really true, that you actually volley that ball, that you actually volley that ball back with, with something that will encourage and help the other person, right? Because it's a fun game, tennis. I just encourage you, so, so the main points tonight, ruminate again on your past. Ruminate after the day is done on what God has done. He is the master he is sovereign. There's nothing that happens to you that is by accident. And as you think about those things and God's hand in them, he will grow you more intimately with him like never before. You know, I, I was diagnosed, oh, I wish I had more time. Okay. I was diagnosed with manic depression. Um, when I first came to Christ, I actually... Uh, it's kind of a crazy story. So I'm, I, I shared this last week that I, I challenged God and how he saved the world. <laughs> and he said, no, I, I'm God. So I sent Jesus to die for you. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And I, I immediately was like, yes, right? But then I'm like, okay, God, so you're this powerful and you do all this. You're talking to me in my mind. I'm going to follow you in this. I'm going to walk with you in my mind. And so I started to really listen to my thoughts, like really pay attention to what God was doing in my mind. And it was overwhelmingly awesome because and I don't know if you've experienced this before but you're thinking of a word or something happens and the radio comes on the radio at the exact time that you're thinking of it like what are the chances well this was happening all the time and I was just blown away so I'm I'm 
<coughs> excuse me, I'm going to my friends, and I'm saying, you got to know this Jesus. He's with us right now. He's listening to your thoughts. He will speak to your thoughts. And I had a friend who grew up in New York City, and he's like, let's go tell this to a psychiatrist. And so the doctor actually, it's, it was weird. So, I mean, it's a long story, but he basically said, yeah, you'd like to take drugs to get high? And I'm like, yeah, I really love the experience of that. And I was a baby Christian at the time, obviously. So I wasn't, a, I didn't know the word well about treating your body as a temple. So I'm like, yeah. So he's like, why don't you take some of these pills? It'll get you high. So he gave me sleeping pills unbeknownst to me. I went back to the dorm, smoked a little weed, fell asleep, woke up to my parents being at the door saying, we were called by this psychiatrist that he feels like you're manic depression with, with addiction, you know, addictive with alcohol and drug addictions because I was drinking like 40 beers a night. Um, and I weighed like 290, so it, I really was drinking that much every night. Um, so my point, though, in that is that as, as I've loved others in the, the reality of God ministering to me through that, I still don't at all doubt that what I experienced back then is real. You know, it wasn't drug-induced, maybe partly. But I do that daily now. I mean, when I prophesy over people, it's absolutely amazing. I could tell you a story, and those who know me, I, I, you know, I could tell you story after story where I don't know these people, and I'm listening to God, and I speak to them, and they're like crying, and yes, this is what's going on in my life, and, and, and God ministers through that. And, and just this last week, just to, to kind of end, as I have loved deeply, God has brought people to me that have needed his love. It's not miraculous, but pay attention. As, as he teaches you about his love to the point where you just are overflowing, he will bring people into your life that don't know that. They don't understand the depth of God's love for them. So lay down your life and focus on them. It's easy for me to spend two and a half hours in the word every morning just getting an encounter with the Lord, meditating on his word. And I, but consistently in my life, it's quicker. God will just, I'll meet with God and he'll be like, this person, and I'll just pray for that person. And I'll ask for a word for them. And I'll contact them. It's just amazing how God fills us, how he fills us and wants to overflow us into others' lives. So this last week, there's a, a woman I've known for years back from, from Wilton, Connecticut, who's been diagnosed with manic depression. Go figure. She's having struggles with her husband. So I talked to her for a couple of hours about, you know, her experience in this and my experience in this. Because quite frankly, when you're manic in the Lord, it's, it's good for you, but a lot of people around you, like probably some of you here are like, you're kind of crazy, Chip. <laughs> Which is fine. I don't mind that anymore because I, I have a stable job and I do it well. <laughs> no one's going to be putting me in, in a psych ward. But I was trying to help this woman to understand from the mind frame of her husband, who I know well too, what it might feel like to him to experience her faith. And then I was able to contact him and able to say to him, from the standpoint of a manic depressive person, people were telling me I was nuts. And I'm like, you're nuts. I've encountered God. And, I, and I, so then I, using my intelligence, I reasoned and understood that, that these, these people were looking at my hand gestures and they were judging me. And I'll never forget being sitting on the edge of my bed at the psych ward and having the, these four or five psych you know, people in white coats come in and they were talking with me. And I was really peaceful. At this point, I had understood that like, 
I couldn't use any of my hand gestures. I think I was crazy. So I just said, I just believe that God can do whatever he wants. And I was very eloquent and, and simplistic. And, and I'll never forget this doctor looking at me and saying, we need to up your dose of medication. <laughs> and I started crying because, again, I was a young believer. But my point in that is that as I ministered to the husband, I said, you know what, this woman, you know, your wife may think you're stealing her freedom because she, she's so liberal and generous and wants to give away money and wants to love everybody she comes around. And, and he's not, he's like that on a level. But so let God minister through you to other people. But you need to get in your mind frame, I'm going to lay down my life for that person. I'm going to lay down my life for those who come into my presence. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for Paula's generosity and time. So good to talk about you. Oh, gosh, it just never grows old. It's all about you and what you've done in our lives. Thank you, God, that you give us wisdom for others, that you do redeem our past and enable us to bless others because of our suffering, that our suffering never goes unnoticed by you for eternity. You desire to use that for the greater good of those around us, that we minister to them and their suffering, that they grow wiser quicker. Give us a heart for the lost. Give us a heart for people around us like we've never had before, that we deeply, deeply love others and understand the power you've given us to transform lives in your name, Jesus. Amen.